Good morning, church family. Today's scripture reading will be found in Ecclesiastes 4, 8, and we'll be reading from the New International Version. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. You know, this is a great church, I have to say. You folks are just so fortunate to be a part of this church family. It's just so neat, the things that go on up front here. Did you see that baby handoff? And, you know, that's great when you have, you know, baby handoffs in a church, don't you think? You'll notice I wander. Those of you who've heard me before know that I can't stand still. And I do this to keep you awake. People have a tendency to fall asleep sometimes, and then I can just come up and go, whiff, you know, <laughs> wake up. So we'll make sure that, uh, that you're awake. All right, you have your outlines out? Uh, we're going to be looking at when work doesn't work. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon, if anybody knew about work, he certainly was the one. In fact, right there at the top of your outline, you will notice that uh, he asks an interesting question. What does a person get for all his hard work? You ever ask that question? You know, what do I get for all my hard work, all this work that I do? Um, And we live in a society and a culture that seems to demand that we work. You know, Americans work, uh, on average, five to ten more hours a week than they did even just 20 years ago. Uh, We take less vacation time than any other modern society, any developed world, uh, country in our world. Uh, We are work-obsessed. The American work ethic is just something that absorbs us. In fact, often our identity is directly related to our work. When you go to a social gathering and you meet somebody for the first time, what's one of the first questions they ask you? What do you do? So your identity ends up being parallel with your work. And so Solomon, in his wisdom, asks this question, what does a person get for all his hard work? It's a question we're going to ask. And he also described the two extremes. The first extreme is this one, what he called the lazy worker. We're going to draw a continuum here. We're going to put that extreme at one end, and we'll put the other extreme at the other end. And I want you to be thinking about where you are between these two extremes. And in Ecclesiastes 4, 5, he says, the fool won't work and almost starves, but feels it's better to be lazy and barely get by than work hard. Now, I want you to notice something very important about it. It says the fool won't work. It doesn't say the fool can't work. There's some people who who can't, you know. But it's a person who won't work. The motto of this person is, I'd rather loaf and lose than not loaf at all, I guess. So the lazy worker is the one extreme. The other extreme is the workaholic. Here's a person who's always working, never satisfied with the wealth he has. For whom is he working so hard and denying himself any pleasure? This is useless and a miserable way to live. The person who works all the time. So there's the continuum. You have the lazy worker on one side. You have the workaholic on the other. And the question is, where are you on that line? Are you in the middle? Are you balanced? Are you leaning to one side or the other? 
And what I want to do for the message to make it very practical for you is I'm going to first of all talk about the antidote to the lazy worker and what Solomon's wisdom, the Bible's so great, isn't it? I mean, it gives us practical ways of living. And Solomon, in his experience, and he was the wealthiest man that ever lived on this earth, so he knows a little bit about accumulating things and wealth and work, and he gives us some great wisdom that we can take advantage of, some antidotes if you are on the lazy end of the spectrum, and then we're going to talk about what to do if you're on the workaholic side of it. Now, my guess is that most people here are probably on that side. There probably is a tendency... Uh, here in Santa Clarita and, and Los Angeles area to overwork more than underwork. And as you'll notice in the outline, I'm using a cross stick using the word relax <laughs> when it comes to the antidote toward being a workaholic. So let's look at, first of all, Solomon's wisdom for the lazy worker. Solomon's wisdom for all of us, actually, when it comes to the road to success in our workplace and uh, what we should do. So here we go ready or not. By the way, I think I've done this here. I say, get it. You say, got it. And I say, good. Okay. So I say, get it. Got it. I don't know if you got it. Okay. Get it. Good. Okay. That's, it's just another technique to keep you awake. All right. That's my goal. Keep you awake. Keep you focused. Keep you concentrated. Look at the outline. Watch as we go along. The first thing that Solomon says is, work with enthusiasm. Work with enthusiasm. And the scripture there is very clear. This is interesting. Whatever your hands finds to do, do it with what? All your might. All your might. I don't care what kind of job it is. I don't care how menial you think it might be. Do it with all your might. Do it with enthusiasm and excitement. Um, that will really change. You know, imagine your whole attitude. Now you're saying, well, you don't know my workplace. You don't know what I do. But if you work with enthusiasm and change your whole approach to work, by the way, these principles that Solomon has developed in a down economy like this where you may be worried about your job will help to ensure that you keep your job. You manifest these six principles in your workplace and your employer will treasure you, believe me, and want to keep you there. So the first principle is work with enthusiasm in your workplace. Important principle that you need to understand. Number two, work with integrity. Now, I've been very helpful to you because I could have had fill-ins on all of these, but, you know, I, I didn't do that. You notice it's the lazy section that I didn't do the fill-ins. So you, you get them without the fill-ins. Work with integrity. Work with honesty. You know, they did a study of over 300 sales staff in a particular company that were highly successful. What they discovered, it wasn't so much their persuasive skills or their ability to convince somebody to buy something. It was their integrity and honesty that was the key. Because integrity and honesty builds a reputation that sustains you in the workplace when you are honest and integrity. Now, I, I love the way Solomon puts this. Look at this. A good reputation is better than expensive perfume. There's an interesting metaphor, isn't it? In other words, it's better to be good than to smell good. That's what he's saying there. By the way, can you guess what cologne I use? Well, it's obvious. Eternity, of course. Thank you. 
A good reputation, better than expensive perfume, Solomon says. Number three, work skillfully. Work skillfully. So you need to work, of course, uh, with integrity. You need to work with enthusiasm. And then skillful work is important. And I like the way he puts it in Ecclesiastes 10.10. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Stay sharp. Are we in a culture and society that demands constant change, constant you know, knowledge and information? I mean, our technological world alone is advancing at such a rapid pace. I don't know what it's like in your workplace, but you have to constantly update yourself and stay sharp with what you're going to do if, you, if you're going to stay on top of things. You know, the dinosaurs lost out because they were unwilling to adapt to their environment. Do you have any dinosaurs at work? Unwilling to adapt to their environment, unwilling to learn and change. It's important. You know, they, there's a story about an axeman, a lumberman, who would stop before chopping down another tree and sharpen his axe before he moved on. Some of the other workers would not stop. Guess who chopped down more trees? The axeman with the sharp axe. Because he took the time to sharpen the very instrument that he was using in his work. You stay sharp and uh, you will have success. All right, so integrity and uh, da, 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 number four is work efficiently. Work efficiently. You know, we live in a distracting culture and society. There's so many things out there that are distracting us. By the way, I call it a screen culture. We are in a screen culture. There are screens everywhere. I even have a screen here. <laughs> but, you know, you have the TV screen, and you have the computer screen, and you have your iPhone screen, and you have your, you know, iPod screen, and you're texting, and you're you know, doing Facebook. Facebook is kind of a misnomer, isn't it? You don't face anybody on Facebook. You know, there's no facing there. Uh-huh, yeah. I mean, people keep asking me to be their friend. I don't want to be their friend. I don't have time to be their friend, please. Some people just love to have a thousand friends. They don't care who it is. They'll ask you to be their friend. I got this friend request the other day, never heard of the person, don't even know who they are. What's going on? We are so distracted, so many things going on. Everybody's thumb is now getting muscles. So much texting, you know, that's happening. Uh, in fact, you know that there's one church where the, the pastor actually encourages people to text him during the sermon. Can you imagine getting text messages? It's... Um, it's a screen society. I could scream. There's so many screens <laughs> going on. Work efficiently. And so through all that maze of stuff, it's hard to isolate what's most important. How do you distinguish between what seems to be urgent and what's critical and most important? And cutting through all of that is really a major, major challenge. Solomon puts it this way in Ecclesiastes 8, 6. There is a right time and a right way to do everything. We need the wisdom of God in the Bible to understand when it is the right time and what it is that is the right thing for us to do. That's for sure. Okay.
here we go. Number five, work cooperatively. Work cooperatively. Now take the outline and post it on your refrigerator or take it to work and just review these things this coming week. Work cooperatively. You know this text very well in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10. Two are better off than one. Why? Yeah, because together they can work more effectively. One of them falls down, the other can help him up. Get it? Oh, no, you don't. You don't get it. Oh, <laughs> all right, good, good. Uh, this is clear, working together, uh, cooperatively. That's so important when it comes to working and doing those kinds of things. Okay, all right, number six, work persistently, persistently. Do you know how to have great success in life and in work? Fail. That's how. That's how. Fail. If you have never failed at anything, you haven't taken any risk. You haven't tried anything. You have, you have just stayed safe and done just the safe thing. You know, the only way you can learn what not to do is to do what not to do before you do it. No, no, that doesn't make sense. I didn't say that right, did I? <laughs> but you've got to fail. You've got to be persistent in your work. Keep on sowing your seed, for you never know which will grow. Perhaps it all will. You know? Persistence is the key. Persistence, by the way, is far greater than intellect when it comes to success. Staying with it, keeping at it, being persistent. Even though sometimes, you know, you make mistakes and you have failure, you learn, you get up, you go on, you move on, you continue on, and uh, you stick with it. It's so important and critical when it comes to work. Yes, well, that's the key to the workplace and uh, to work itself. And by the way, I'm not talking about just the workplace, but I'm talking about all of our human desire and need to achieve uh, which seems to be so prevalent in our culture and society. The remedy for workaholism, here we go, relax, relax. Now you're ready to fill in, get out your outline, get out a pencil so you can fill in the blanks on the other side. I'll be looking to make sure you fill them in. Checking, you know, uh-huh, yeah, come on, get them out, there we go, all right, good. Okay, here's the R in relax. Readjust your values readjust your values. What do you give the most time to? What's most important? Of course. You know, uh, our values are determined by what we devote our time to. And, uh, you know, what you give more time to, clearly, is something that you have, you know, great value for and, and that you value. You have to readjust your values. What is it that really brings value to your life? What is it that gives you your sense of value? What is it that really provides you your own identity? You know, is it your understanding of your relationship with God that gives you your understanding of who you are and your value? Or is it all this need to accomplish and to constantly be working? Solomon, again, in his wisdom, said, I've learned why people work so hard to succeed. It's because they envy the things their neighbors have. It's a constant desire to accumulate stuff. Stuff. You know, there's a show on BBC America. It's called Life Laundry. I don't know if you watch BBC 
America. It's life laundry. And they go into people's homes that are cluttered with stuff. Now, I know no one here has a cluttered house. No one here has too much stuff. No one here can't get a car into the garage because it's too piled up with stuff. But they go to homes of people who have all this stuff and whose homes have literally been just cluttered with stuff. And the, the people agree to have these experts come in and you know what they do? They unload the house and move everything out into the yard. All their stuff out into the yard. Can you imagine all your stuff out in the yard? And then they have to go through it and they have to eliminate 50% of it. They have to decide 50% has to go. And they sell it in what they call a boot sale. Yard sale for us, of course. And all the stuff that they can't sell, they bring in what they call the crusher. And they throw it into the crusher and it crushes all this stuff. And then they redo their house. And they bring back the 50% that you know, remains. And suddenly, these people have space to live. Because no longer is their life encumbered by all this stuff. I've learned why people work so hard to succeed. It's because they envy the things their neighbors have. We are victimized by all the things and stuff that we seem to accumulate and we find that we miss out on the very things that are most important in our lives. And that is our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. That's what's most important. And in an economic time like ours, those are the things we need to really focus on and not on stuff. In spite of all your hard work, there's nothing we can take with us. Isn't that true? Never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. You can't take it with you man. Enjoy each other rather than all that stuff. Number two, the E. Enjoy what you have already worked for. Enjoy what you already have. You know? Uh, take pleasure in those things that you already have. I got so frustrated this week. I attended our yearly homeowners association meeting. Yeah. They were, you know, I've discovered that the Gestapo has been replaced by your homeowners association. I went to the meeting. Do you know what they talked about for over an hour at our local homeowners association meeting? Whether or not we should allow our dear neighbors to keep their garage doors open. Yeah. Should we allow them to keep their garage door open? I mean, heavens, we don't want to have to look into their garage and see all their stuff, do we? And so that debate raged on and on. Somebody said, well, I like to keep mine open for ventilation. So you know what they finally decided? You could keep your garage door open 18 inches off the floor, you know, the ground, 18 inches. So I'm just imagining our Homeowners Association vigilante committee going around the neighborhood with a yardstick, <laughs> making sure, oh, it's 19, yeah, write them up, you know. It's crazy. Craziness. You know, Greg, your pastor and his family, and my daughter and I just returned a month ago from a trip to El Salvador to observe literacy learning circles that are helping adults learn for the first time in their lives how to read and write and do basic math. I mean, we're talking about garages? Give me a break. 
What's happened to our culture and society? Enjoy what you already have. You have a, a lot more, believe me, than anybody else in this world. Even the poorest person in America is far richer than most people in our world. Enjoy what you have. All of us should eat and drink and enjoy what we have worked for. It is God's gift. Enjoy it. Enjoy what you have. It is better to have only a little with peace of mind than be busy all the time with both hands. Isn't that true? The more you have, the more you have to take care of, the more you have to maintain, the more you have to... And the more it takes you away from the two things, I'll say it again, your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. Your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. Get it? Boy, you got that one. Good. That's great. All right. Here is the L in relax. Limit your work. Limit your work. <laughs> Limit, you know, and I know what you're saying. Oh, yeah, but I'm essential. They need me. Uh, they can't, they can't you know, survive without me. I've got to be there. Oh, come on. You know, why don't you resign as the manager of the universe? You know? It, it, the problem is we take ourselves too seriously, and we don't take God serious enough. And we need to focus on him. Here's one. This one you put on your desk at work. Put it in a little plaque. Write it down. You have it there on your outline. That's very simple. And here it is. Only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. Do you know anybody like this? Don't look at him. Don't, don't, don't look at him. Don't look at him. I saw you looking. Okay. Only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. Isn't that the truth? You know, I have found, too, that uh, driver personalities, and you know you, who you are, they have to be intentional about taking time. It will not happen unless they're intentional about it, unless they put it in their schedule and they make it happen. Because they'll get so caught up and so caught up with what they're doing and the importance of it that they'll never take the time they need. It's senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, for God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. We read about the Sabbath this morning in our reading. God took a whole day and set it aside as a day of rest because rest was so critical and important in his plan. You know, God rested. He didn't have to rest. God doesn't get tired. But he wanted to have an example for all of us because he knew we needed time of rest. We needed a time of relationships. We needed a time of enrichment between God and other people. And so he, he put it in the top ten, man. He made it as important as he could because he knew as human beings we were just fickle enough to work ourselves to death. The A in relaxes, anticipate God's care. Anticipate God's care. Oftentimes driver personalities that work too hard they lack a very, very critical thing, and that is they lack trust. They do not trust that God will give them what they need. And they are constantly driving themselves to prove something to someone, I'm not sure who. Maybe it was an overbearing parent that you know, constantly put pressure on them, making them feel as if they didn't achieve, if they weren't always the best, that somehow they weren't valuable, they weren't worth anything. You know, we confuse our net worth with our self-worth. We confuse our understanding of who we are with what we do. God's already done it, folks. 
Our value in God's sight is intrinsic. It has nothing to do with what we do. It has everything to do with what Christ did. We need to understand that so we get off the treadmill, so we get off that constant need to prove ourselves. God's already done it. We can rest in him. We can anticipate the care that God will give us when we trust him. It's a trust issue, is what it is. And a lot of it is a worry issue, too. Many of us are caught up in anxiety and worry, and uh, consequently, it drives our need to constantly striving. Don't worry, saying, what will we eat or drink or wear? Pagans run after these things, and your Heavenly Father knows you need them. Trust in Him to provide. Trust in God. I bet I could go around this room and you could give me individual stories of the way God has miraculously stepped in and provided in times of need. Uh, when you thought that if you, you were at the bottom and, and there was no way, and yet God has provided, he's provided people, he's provided things, he's provided what you need when you trust in him. If you prayed as much, by the way, as you worry, you'd have a lot less to worry about. Substitute your connection with God with that tendency to worry. Well, obviously, I couldn't find too many words with X, I thought about xylophone, but it didn't really work. I don't know. So exchange pressure for God's peace. Exchange pressure for God's peace. This is really key, isn't it? We live in a culture. Do you know that that you were graded from the time you were born? I mean, you know, how much did you weigh? What was your length? And then, you know, when you went to school, it was a constant grading system, you know? Did you get A's or B's or C's? You know, and then everybody's constantly grading. And we live in this society and culture where we're all measured by certain things. And we need to step away from that and find our pleasure and our peace in God and rest in God and understand that it is really God that gives us our sense of who we are. And when we do that, then it releases us from that constant need to always be, you know, achieving and striving. Christ's words, love this. Come to me, you who are tired, and I will give you rest. The yoke I give you is easy, and the load I'll put on you is light. Mm. I wasted an hour one morning beside a mountain stream. I seized a cloud from the sky above and fashioned myself a dream. In the hush of the early twilight, far from the haunts of men, I wasted a summer evening and fashioned my dream again. Wasted? Perhaps. Folks say that have never walked with God when leaves are purple and lilacs are yellow with goldenrod, but I have found strength for my labors in that one short evening hour. I have found joy and contentment. I have found peace and power. My dreaming has left me a treasure, a hope that is strong and true. From wasted hours, I have built my life and found my faith anew. Find your strength, find your worth, 
find your value in God, and then you can discover and bring balance to life because you won't need to be constantly achieving, constantly striving, because God is the one that will give you your sense of who you are. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your gift of love for us. The grace that helps us understand that you love us intrinsically and unconditionally. That we don't have to depend on approving parents. We don't have to depend on a workplace that constantly we're striving to somehow prove something. Because we can rest in you. We can lay our, ourselves, our, our, our hopes and our dreams squarely in you. And then once we understand that our value and our worth comes from you, then we are released and we can have the time we need to spend with the people we love. We can have the priorities and the sense of what's really important. We can do the very things that are the most meaningful in life, our relationship with you and our relationship with each other. Help us, Lord, to find that balance. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we leave this place, this is when it really is the time we need you to walk with us. And just as we have sung, we pray that you will walk alongside and help us maneuver through a culture and a society that pulls and draws us and distracts us. Keep us on the right path. Help us to understand what's most important, our relationship with you and our relationship with each other. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.